week we talked about looking back, and we're going to keep looking back today. And the reason I want to talk about looking back properly is because some people have this pattern of looking back and their eyes are locked at their past. All they can see are their failures, everything they can't do right. And some personality types tend to have a longer stare than others. But sometimes our circumstances can be so bad and regret so deep that we're stuck living in the past. And always looking back and saying, yeah, well, yeah, but look at that and that and that and that. Well, I want to switch sides and go, let's look at this, this, and this. Let's see the faithfulness of God in this so that we can do what we're intended to do, look ahead and live our lives in the now and in the future. We don't live in the past. You can't control the past. I, uh, there's a line in the movie Bridge of Spies, if anybody has seen that. Um, the one spy is, you know, he's, he's being asked, Are, so aren't you worried about you're gonna, that you're going to get killed? And he says, would that help? And he did that like three times. It's like, would that help worrying? Would that help? Like, really? Would it help? No. Is there wisdom in looking ahead and planning? Yes. We're not discarding that at all. What I'm saying is, let's stop living from the past and basing our future on our past circumstances. That has got to come to an end. The scriptures are filled with great news of encouragement. And we ended last week with a Romans 12 verse that I want to reread this morning because it's really good. And we need to be reminded of this, especially the first Sunday in January. Let's see what it says. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Stop there. Because of all he's done for you implies you know all he's done for you. It implies you've looked back and focused on the right things. That you're looking at what happened at the cross. And many of us think, ooh, Jesus died on the cross and that wonderful praise the Lord and I move on. And now, now I get to have my Santa Claus wish list. He's my sugar daddy now. That's all he is. He's more than that. The past five years, I've had to revisit the question, what really happened at the cross? It's opened a can of worms, and they don't go back in. They're all over the place, and there's more worms in that can than I ever thought. It's crazy. But there are many, many questions that have to be answered. And we have been told what the finished work of the cross was. And we bought it hook, line, and sinker with whatever we've been told. Including me telling you, do not buy what I am sharing with you hook, line, and sinker just because I say it. Now those who know me and know my heart and have learned to trust me already, there's a different relationship there. But if it's new to you, don't just trust me because I said it. And because I'm up on a stage and apparently other people are following it. Don't believe it. Believe it only if the Holy Spirit makes it true to you. Study, research, find out, does that word really say that? Just because I'm putting it up on the screen, how do you know I didn't mistranslate it? How do you know? Like lots of questions you can ask. But 
The point is you doing your own heart search. You doing your study. You ask the Holy Spirit because it is between you and the Holy Spirit. He's the one who tells you what's true and not. He's the one who confirms. And even if you don't understand it all, he's still going to give you a sense of, that's true, follow that. Keep going on that. Crave for more of that, of what you're hearing. That's the Holy Spirit. That's good news. Ever since I've unpacked that can of worms, I've been having to look back and revisit everything I've been taught. It's been a good thing. It's a good process. Some things will change, some things do not. But it's called maturing and growing. If you don't change what you believe, something's wrong. If a child stays at the age of five, the same height, for the next five years, you know there's a problem. They're supposed to grow. They're supposed to develop. And so are you and I. If you've been in church forever and, and you, all, you, you learn the same stuff and you can just applaud it, yes, I'll pray, yes, I've heard that, yes, I, and you only agree with everything you already believe in? Hmm. If you only agree with everything you believe in, and then you get ticked with something you don't agree with, huh, that is great. Because it'll force you to say, wait a minute, I better revisit that. I get a relook at that, and you may still come out saying, I still disagree. Fine, but you dig deeper. Look back at what the Lord has done for you. Look back in Scripture. Oh, wait a minute, maybe you actually have to read it. <laughs> Imagine that. Because of all He has done for you, let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind He will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship Him. <laughs> worship. I thought worship was just singing. That's where I grew up believing. We're going to do our worship time now. Music people, will you come up so we can do our worship time? That's a lie. That's not true. This whole thing is worship. You getting out of bed, getting dressed and serving your family and putting up with all this. That's worship. Not worshiping them. Worshiping your Heavenly Father by allowing His life to live out through you. That's worship. Your service to one another is worship. In fact, I think the worship team is doing more worship than the congregation. They're the ones serving, worshiping through their service. You guys get to benefit, which is to direct you back to focus on God and worship Him. We worship through attendance. We worship through uh, hearing the word. We worship through singing. We worship through hearing music. We worship through hearing the word of God. We worship through giving. Even the offering at the end of the service. It's an act of worship. All of this is all worship. If, if you ever looked in our program, I don't know if it says it anymore, but for a long time we said worship through offering, worship through um, uh, singing, worship through hearing. Wor all of it is all worship. We're supposed to offer ourselves as a gift, a sacrifice of worship to our Heavenly Father because of what He has done for us. And believe me, when it starts to click in what He has done for you, you can't help but want to serve and worship. That's the natural, supernatural reaction to the good news of what Jesus has done. And Jesus knows it. That's why Paul writes about it. He says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person. How do we get changed into a new person? By changing the way we think. 
then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. It's through our thinking that we're changed. Yes, behavior matters. Behavior will show you what you believe, or at least show others what you believe. It, it's the evidence of our belief. So yes, behavior matters. And sometimes people have learned how to control behavior so they don't have to believe. They just do the, the stuff, especially in churchianity. We, we do the rituals of church. We go to church. We read our Bible, pray every day, and out of a duty. And if we do these things, maybe we'll get close to God. That's not it at all. It's backwards. Those things we get to do in response to knowing who our Heavenly Father is. Maybe this next year, all you got to do is hunger to discover who God really is. Hebrews 11, 1 to 40. I'm not going to read the whole thing I was going to, but not this time. It says here, If I had longed for the country, for if they had longed for the country they came from, they could have gone back. But they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them in Hebrews 11. Many times in the Old Testament, we hear stories of God moving people. Abraham got moved from his home base of where he was so God could give him land. The Israelites, once they came out of Egypt, God moved them. And they even whined, we want to go back to Egypt. We, we'd rather have the wonderful chocolates and, and desserts and, and get whipped like crazy by those guys you know, instead of doing this walk. And all the whining and complaining. It's like they seem like little kids. Whine, whine, whine. Really? The Israelites were doing this too. And I know some people say, oh, if if I would have only seen some of the things the Israelites seen, I would have, oh, I'd believe so quickly, you know, like turning, having water come out of a rock. Oh, that'd be a cool miracle. Wow. You know, and all the food, the manna. Like, honestly, all these things you would think would shock people into belief. The signs and wonders may shock you for a time. But you get used to them and they lose their drive. Don't be searching for signs and wonders all the time. Although, I'll tell you this, Holy Spirit, if you ever show me some pretty cool funky stuff like wild healings and signs and wonders, I won't object. Okay? I won't say, no, don't show me that. I'll say, yes, it's true too. That's so cool. You know, I'd be all over it. It would help faith. But that isn't your goal. Your goal is to pursue Him. And so here we have stories of people looking back, saying, hey, uh, I want to go back to that. And here, they're looking for another city, saying, no, we're going to move ahead. And that's what your life should be like. You can look back at the cities you've lived in and have regrets. I wish we would have done that there. I should not have done this. Oh my goodness, if I could just change that decision. Oh my goodness. God, didn't you know? How many times we ask that? Woulda, shoulda, coulda, but you never did. You can cry tears of regret all you want. But those are not tears of faith. Those are tears of disbelief. And you can live in that regret all you want, and all you get is wet Kleenex. Okay? And maybe a group of people that are cry with you, isn't that nice? But you're not called to live from that. 
You can live with the fact that God was with you through every one of those steps, including the bad choices you think you made. None of them surprised God. None of them. He didn't say, I didn't see that coming. How could you possibly? I, I never saw that coming. God never said that once about your life or mine. And he has it all in his hands. He's guiding and directing. We're not puppets. Definitely not puppets. But he is inspiring and encouraging and working even with our bad decisions. Guiding and directing us towards his good. He's good at what he does. He's really good at what he does. All right, 2 Corinthians. I'm going to read this. Open your Bibles if you got them. 2 Corinthians, that's your New Testament. Second Corinthians 5. Verses 14 to 21. Whatever we do, it is because Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for everyone, we also believe that we have all died to the old life we used to live. Stop there. This is healthy looking back. This is looking back to what happened at the cross. This is looking back to what's happened to you. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live to please themselves. Instead, they will live to please Christ, who died and was raised for them. So, we have stopped evaluating others by what the world thinks about them. Once I mistakenly thought of Christ that way, as though he were merely a human being, how differently I think about him now. What this means is that those who become Christians become new persons. They are not the same anymore, for the old life is gone, a new life has begun. The old life has gone, a new life has begun. Which life are you choosing to live out of? Your old life or your new one? This is a good question for 2016 that has many fears. Our world is afraid right now. Just look at the newspapers. I'm getting bombarded with fear emails from Christian organizations. Anti-Muslim. Ooh, they're taking over the world. Ooh, be scared. Oh, they're, they're being subtle. Oh, be careful. They're going to take over. Oh, seriously? Who's in charge? I'm sorry. I choose not to be ruled by fear. That's why I had a, a hunger to try and look for a, a more hope-filled end times view. And I've found one, and I'm studying further. There's so much more to learn than what I shared with you. That was just a quick snippet of encouragement. But we don't live by fear. There are things that can make us afraid. There can be somebody who peeks around the, behind a corner and goes, Bah! And you go, Bah! Oh no, I wasn't supposed to be afraid. Lord, forgive me for being afraid. That's not it. That's called being startled. Right? It's okay. There's some things that can do that. But when we come to reason and stop and think and realize, okay, rationally, I don't have to be afraid for the future. 
Or, what other people do that don't do that, they stop, oh my goodness, oh, this is going to happen, this is going to crash, the market's going to do this, Y2K is going to happen all over again, oh no, better stock up. Like, you can go crazy. That is not a faith-filled life. That's a fear-filled. Let's live from truth, not fear. Philippians 1.6, fantastic verse. And I am certain. Certain. What's that word? Thank you. And what does it mean? For sure. sure. Certainly. Of course. Convinced. Absolutely convinced. That God who began the good work within you. Will continue his work. Until it is finally finished. On the day when Christ Jesus returns. Whose faith is your faith in? His faith or your own history? Or the newspaper headings? Where's your faith? Has God begun a good work in you? Every single person that's in this room, I can guarantee, and anybody watching this online, I guarantee God has begun a good work. Or you wouldn't be hearing this. And because you're hearing this right now, it's evidence God's at work in you, which means he actually began a good work at some point. And if he started, he's going to carry it out. This is something I got to hear because I have my stupid shame messages coming from my past constantly bombarding me. I'm not good enough. I can't do anything right. And I misread things depending on my mood. And he... It can become quite consuming. I can suddenly catch myself staring at the past. Those are all the messages I've heard growing up. But that's not the message that is in me. That's where I was, not where I am. And if the Lord began a good work, in spite of my failures, and in spite of how I may feel at any given moment, I can trust Him. And if I got to put this on my mirror, so be it. If I got to put it on my screensaver, so be it. Whatever it takes to be reminded, do it. That's why we're encouraged to keep meeting together, to be encouraged by each other. So this kind of stuff keeps being entered into your mind because the world is going to send you messages that are opposite of this. Don't allow yourselves to be caught up into the customs of this world. Very negative and control-driven and uh, fear-based. Like I look at our stocks. The stock market is purely based on fear. Everything. Oh no, there's, I see a trend changing. Boom, sell off, sell off. Oh no, the world's crashing. Ah! What happened? Some numbers changed over there. Wah! They can only think about that. But we do that too. Let's not. Let's remember your foundation. Remember what Christ has done for you. Remember he has started a good work in you. And he's never going to forget. He's never going to leave you nor forsake you. The word forsake means to abandon. He will never abandon you. It's an impossibility. I used to think growing up, you know, I'm in the palm of God's hand. That's great. He'll never leave me nor forsake me. But I can always jump out. (laughs) Really? How dumb is that? It's a big hand. (laughs) There's no way you can jump out of his hand. 
Remember? Christ lives in you. And you're in Christ. And Christ is in God. That's a pretty serious wrapped up bubble. And all of creation is where? In Christ. You can't be separated from Him. You can't be separated from His love. Huh. Romans 8, 24 to 30. Romans 8, 24 to 30. This is good stuff. 28 to 30. And we know that God causes some things to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Is that what it says? Oh, oops. We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn with many brothers and sisters. Having chosen them, he called them to come to him and he gave them right standing with himself and he promised them his glory. You have been given right standing with your heavenly father. You're clean, you're pure, you're forgiven right now. And there's nothing you can do about it. Except believe it. Because when you do, oh my goodness, everything changes. If God causes everything to work together, there's an implication here that I want to address. You could misread this and say, well then God makes everything happen that's bad. Like God's the, the cause for the tsunamis. God's the cause of tornadoes. God's the cause of all this stuff. Wait a minute. If it's environmental, who's the cause? We are. Don't blame God for something we have done. Does he work it all together for good? Yes. He causes all things to work together. The hardest question these days is, where is God when we're suffering? What about the pain that happened to me? That's what people are asking. What my pain? Did God cause that pain? Well, if he did, I don't believe in that God anymore. I'm really ticked off with him. People do think that. And it's a legitimate question. What do you do with it? How do you answer it? If I had an answer today, we'd have 5 million views on YouTube. Which means I don't have the answer. (laughs) But I can point you to the one who is the answer. Because the answer is not simplicity. The answer is not a pop machine or a soda machine. Where you put your loony or toony in and out comes a thingy within 20 seconds. That question is not a vending machine question. It is a question that is worked out in the soil and the tilling of life. And all of our tilling and soil, if you ever gardened, you need a lot of manure to make good stuff. Okay? God does cause it all to work together for good. Even when we're afraid of the future, Lord, what job am I going to have? Am I going to lose my job? What then? Trust Him with the outcomes. We're such control freaks. We want to control everything. Our future, our families, everything. We want to control it all. Proof? How many have a driver's license? There we go. See, I've just proven you like control. (laughs) Control on the road. It's crazy. What do we do with the tough question? I'll tell you this. There's a two-sentence verse in the book of John. 
It's called Jesus wept. Why did Jesus weep? Anybody know? Yes. Kevin said he was sad. Why would he be sad? Because his cousin, his friend, died. There was pain. There's death. There's finality. And Jesus expressed the human cry of pain through crying. And he wept. Because he wasn't playing the God card. In about 8.2 minutes, I will raise him from the dead anyway, so... (laughs) He didn't do that. God didn't tell him anything yet, I don't think. I'm guessing here. But based on what I've come to know about Jesus and how he functioned as being fully God and fully man, this starts to make more sense now. I believe Jesus was listening to the Holy Spirit, to the Heavenly Father, abiding in the Heavenly Father the entire time. And it was God giving instructions at any given moment, go do this. Got it. Go do it. Say this. You sure? Yes. Okay. Say it. And he says it. He says what he's been told to say. He didn't have to conjure up, put his blackberry next week. Thursday, we're going to go to a funeral, raise that guy from the dead. Then we're going to go over, next month, we're going to go over to that market, heal those people. He didn't do that. It was as he was going, his daily life, God directed him, and he had to be in full, listen to this word, dependence on his heavenly father. The same thing you and I need to do. The what would Jesus do bumper sticker is a joke and a farce and distracts you from the truth. The truth is this, is not what would Jesus do and then copy it. It's watch what Jesus does in your life. We're not called to copy the behaviors of Jesus. We're called to learn to abide in him and listen to him. Very different. Some of the, uh, some of the behaviors will be the same. Fine. But we don't copy it because we're trying to copy a system. We're trying to live the life of Christ through us. And so when he wept, he was fully God, fully human, but he chose not to live out of his divinity. Therefore, as a man, he lived his earthly life fully human. I always wondered how he did it. I thought somehow he's got that God card. You know, and he, that's how he did it. He did have the God card, but he didn't live out of it. He knew his identity, but he chose to live out of his humanity, fully experiencing everything you and I are going through. Pain, rejection, hurt, abuse, all of it. He felt it, has gone through it, has experienced it, identifies it, even with death. And there he is, weeping. The Son of God, weeping. That's what happens. He enters your pain with you. He doesn't take you from it. He could have delivered a lot of people. Even Peter. Wait a minute, wait a minute, just a second. Didn't Jesus himself ask to be, hey God, you know, we're kind of tight. You know, I'm kind of one with you. How about you let me skip this next event? That'd be really good because I don't want to go through that. At all. And since it's not what you know, it's who you know. How about, eh? Not a chance. His father let him walk through, but he was not absent. 
God did not turn his back on Jesus. Ever. It was God who was where? In Christ, reconciling the world to himself. Where did the reconciliation take place? At the cross. God was in Christ, not absent. And in that pain, there was Jesus. That's where he is with you when you have questions, when you have pain. You're trying to figure stuff out. He's with you. He's weeping with you. He's got his hand on your shoulder. And he's sighing with you. He's groaning with you. You're not absent. Life is not a vending machine. We've made it that here in the Western world. Everything's so quick and easy. Answers are at our fingertips. It's about having the right answers. Who has more writer answers? It's not even a correct word, but that's, that's how it works. You know? It's not about being more right than another person. This is about being one with your Heavenly Father. And when you're one with your Heavenly Father, you don't have to be right over somebody else. You give up that. That's what abiding in Christ is all about. That's what it means to live out the life of Christ in us. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who the heck can ever be against us? Paraphrased. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Nothing. Romans 8, 31 to 39. I'm going to read this. What can we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? That is a big truth in and of itself. There's a whole message right there. You feel people are against you? Relatives, bosses, employees, whatever, neighbors. Call what you will. We have a good list. I've seen them all, almost. If God is for you, who can possibly be against you? Since God did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't God who gave us Christ also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? Will God? No way. He is the one who has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? Will Christ Jesus? No! No! For he is the one who died for us and was raised to life for us and is sitting in the highest place of honor next to God pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or are hungry or cold or in danger or threatened with death? See the list? Are you seeing the list? Are you hearing the list? Even the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from his love. Death can't. Life can't. The angels, nope, can't. And the demons, definitely can't. Our fears for today, our worries about tomorrow, even the powers of hell can't keep.
keep God's love away? Whether we're high above the sky as in hiding or the deepest ocean, nothing in all creation, nothing in all creation, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God. Here's the key that is revealed in Christ Jesus. There are many people who think they're separated from the love of God. But when the revelation of Christ comes, they realize and it's revealed they are not. But they can't see it and feel it. It's darkness to them. The light that's in them is darkness. They can't see it. But when the light comes on and they see, (gasps) wow, he really did mean it. This is actually true. Where's your faith? In your past or in your future? Or about his future? You've been given a new future. You know that. Oh, wait a minute. You've also been given a new past. Do you know how I know this? Because you died with Christ. You became a new creation. His past became yours. His future is yours. What does that mean today? Well, it means you can trust him. And you are one with Christ. And your unique oneness with Christ is very different than the person sitting next to you. You're not Christ, he's not you, but you're one with him. in the unique personality and soul that he's given you. That's a gift. Be the Christ you've been created to be to those around you. Sometimes that means discovering who Christ is in you. So you know how to live. God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. This is a beautiful verse, reminding us your salvation is by grace. Looking at salvation has different implications, worth looking at. The study of what's called soteriology, how to be saved. It's not just one phrase as in, uh, who is it? Some, some radio guy said, weren't shaved, always shaved. You know, um, that's a phrase that can, you know, we're not talking about shaving, we're talking about saved. Um, but one, the idea that there's just one understanding of salvation, that is not true. I think there are layers of it. There's one type of salvation that is for the world. The world's been saved from sin. But there's still another salvation that can be experienced by those who choose to believe. You must believe. Okay, that is something that changes you and you experience the salvation that has been offered to you and you enter into it. Beautiful and necessary. Jesus told them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. It's only going to be through Jesus people are going to have the revelation of God. What about other countries? What about places that have never heard the gospel, that have never heard the name of Jesus? We're hearing more and more, especially in Muslim circles, people coming to Christ because they had a vision, somebody came to them, either an angel, whatever it was, they had a belief, but they didn't know his name. And when the name was revealed, they grew in their faith, and boom, they entered a salvation they had no idea existed. But they were on the journey. (gasps) He who began. A good work. Holy smokes! There's more going on than we think. Careful how you treat people. Because God's at work. 
in people you have no clue he's working in. And you may be the very light that's been needed to be non-judgmental and just love it. Don't even preach at them. Just love them. Can you love others unconditionally? Wait a minute. Some of us can't even love ourselves unconditionally. Welcome to the journey. And Christ is walking it with you, feeling every emotion, feeling every pain, and celebrating every joy. You're not alone. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. This is a simple version. The Bible's trustworthy. We can trust it. What about all the translation problems? What about the original language? Yes, that's true. And there's much there. In fact, the more you study it, the more alive it becomes. The controversies go away. Oh, it's making more sense. We had it wrong in the English. Oh my goodness. Trust God's word. Trust the Holy Spirit to reveal to you. Where you are right now in your journey, trust the Holy Spirit to reveal what it is you need to learn for now. It's also up to him to make things clearer later. Yes, I saw that the whole way. Now I'm seeing it in a whole new light, and it's different. Why didn't I see that before? Because you weren't ready. It's okay. Quit trying to be somebody else who thinks they already have it. Don't compare. This is about you and the Holy Spirit maturing and growing. We have a video that I'm going to show you in just a second, if I could have sound up and the lights off in just a second. This video is an encouragement to not look at the past, but look ahead to who you are in Christ. Hope you enjoy it. Lights. We all tell ourselves stories, narratives to explain the world around us and life as we know it. In some of our stories, we are the villain. We ourselves are the foe that must be defeated for the story to end happily. You tell yourself these stories, grim tales in which half of you is the little red riding hood and the other half is the big bad wolf. Not only are you the victim, you're the cause of your pain and your heartache. You are the one who killed your chance for happiness. You are the one who ate your dreams alive. You are your own nemesis. But you didn't come up with this story on your own. They told you this story first. Once upon a time, they sent the beauty looking for the beast in herself. They said, look at your heart, how evil and wicked, how deceptive and foolish it is. So you cut out your heart and you buried it under the floorboards and told yourself, I cannot be trusted. The core of me is damaged. And now you wander through life, constantly suspicious of yourself, always looking for someone else out there, someone else who knows better, someone to tell you what is good and true, someone to guide you through life because God knows you're so screwed up, left to your own devices, you're doomed. And so the search is always on for the good out there and for the evil in yourself. Because although you buried your heart long ago, it seems there's still something wrong with you. A broken shadow that haunts you. Come out, come out, wherever you are. I know you're in here, you 
worthless piece of me. If I could just fix you, everything would be perfect. If I could just get rid of you, I would finally be good enough. But dear, don't you see? They turned you against yourself. Everyone knows a house divided against itself can't stand. You've been going through life running from something you can't get away from, battling this imaginary dragon you can't seem to conquer. Stop! Stop the madness. Stop the witch hunt. You've been told that you're dirty, that you're broken, that on your best day you're still painfully inadequate, that your true colors are evil. But what if this tale isn't true? What if it was all a hoax? Maybe the townspeople were wrong. What if they misunderstood? Maybe there is no beast in you. Maybe the only problem is that you buried your own heart. Put down your sword of self-hatred. Pull up those dusty floorboards. Embrace that still beating vessel. Listen to it. Perhaps it has its own story to tell, one that is good and true. Perhaps there's nothing wrong with you. Perhaps you were actually born radiant and all of your struggles with darkness have come from a lie that told you the opposite. If there's anything that needs to die, it's this tale we've been telling for far too long. This infection we've spread, passed down to our children. It's made our bones weary, our hearts sick, and left us with barely a shred of hope for this life. It's time to share a new narrative with one another. It's time for you to start believing a new story about yourself. You are not broken. You are not intrinsically damaged. You are not doomed to spend the rest of your life fighting a losing battle. You are whole. You are beautiful. You are worthy. You are so good. And this, this is just the beginning of the true story of the beauty we call humanity. Heavenly Father, the new humanity is your son, Jesus. We have died, we've been placed into Christ, and have died and been made new creations, the new humanity. For those this morning who need to believe what this woman just said, fighting false demons, sometimes real, that speak lies. May we reject the lies and go for the truth. For Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Wake us up to the life that's in us, Father. May we live a new day, a new year, a new future with hope that's actually set on something more solid than ourselves, the rock Jesus. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. That video can be watched at Steve McVeigh's Facebook page if you want to see that again sometime. That was powerful. All right.